In what is widely considered the world's most perfect novel, one woman stands at a precipice. Will she destroy her reputation and future for a chance at love? Or will she take a righteous path to her husband, son, and an eternity of boredom? The woman's name is Anna. The book, Anna Karenina. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! This is Alexis, and you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. I'm doing great. Yeah. How about you? Good. Have you been leaving the house? I did have to leave the house yesterday. I had some laptop issues. I made an appointment with Best Buy like three Yeah, we got to get your tech fixed. It's like antique. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you I, always dogging my I saw your laptop on Saved by the Bell, and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> we got to do better. <laughs> No, it's too much going on. Anyway, I had to go out for that. And then I went to the grocery store. See, that's why I'm going to not go out anymore because every time I go out, I like, oh, a grocery store. Let's go. Guess how much I spent at the grocery store? A hundred (laughs) fifty. Why? Why? I know it's not okay. I don't need that. I don't need it. Well, you know, you can have a budget. Maybe you're using the grocery store as a distraction. We'll get into that later. Maybe. Let's talk about it. Okay, you want to get into it? I do, I do. I need (laughs) to understand some things about myself. Okay. Well, readers, each week we choose a theme to discuss based on the book we're reading. And the theme this week is escapism and how to find healthy distractions. Um, Can you think of just some healthy distractions that you engage in, Alexis, off the top of your head? Hmm. Some distractions that you would consider healthy, I should say. Oh, like going I to the grocery store and spending $150. I don't think on that's kale. healthy. Stop going to Whole Foods. All I don't think that's healthy. Good I don't grief. think that's healthy. Who do you think you is? I repeat, I do not think that's healthy. <laughs> but I do think reading is healthy. Oh, sure. Um, it's escape within an escape. Yeah. And then I um I have um I like to plant and I'm really trying to get this plant thing going. Grow oh, a I garden love that. indoors. And I really would like to um really focus on my um flute lesson oh yeah your flute that's what you were gonna do during quarantine yeah a little, a little uh, lizzo well you know what <laughs> as soon as you get that one note down i want to hear it but you know and you i'm gonna play it i'm gonna play it like it's going out of style too i can't wait <laughs> well um so i chose this theme because everyone in anna karenina to me is escaping from the dullness of their life. And some are doing it in ways that are, you know, semi-healthy, maybe becoming all absorbed in their children. Others are like, you know, stepping out on their husbands and wives, not healthy. Not healthy. (laughs) You know, some are writing books just as big as Anna Karenina about agriculture that ain't nobody gonna read. (laughs) But at the core of it all, um, some are in, you know, relationships that are loveless. They're in the routine of living in an upper, like an aristocratic society. Uh, with no purpose. And so they're, they're, they want these distractions. And us, we're not aristocrats, you know. Um, fortunately, we're not trying to escape uh, relationships that are boring or loveless. But we too can get tired of the monotony. Like um, just with quarantine, waking up, working, cleaning, going to sleep or reading. You know, that, yep. can, that can start to be a routine and you might need a distraction from that. Um, so I pulled up a few... Uh, or looked up a few experts who discuss ways that we can in a healthy way 
find distractions in our everyday life. And the point of these distractions is to help us continue toward our goals. So they're not to distract us, to take us completely out of our families and responsibilities and jobs. But the point of these distractions are to make us better workers, better family members, better friends. Um, an article in the Huffington Post is entitled Distract Yourself in Healthy Ways. And it really gets to the meat of this subject. Um, it lists ways that many people um, have distracted themselves in a healthy, beneficial way. And I'm going to share some things that I personally have um, benefited from in order of their benefit for me. So number one is volunteering time. And that might be working with children or spending time regularly helping others. Um, The best way to distract ourselves from our current routine or situation is to do something for someone else. And it reminded me of Kitty who was like lovesick. And then she went traveling and she helped those convalescing and those skills she was able to use in the future. So that's Kitty's a character in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was really sad because this boy like played with her heart. And so she went traveling with her mom. I'm not going to step on y'all deep dive, but uh, I think you are. You sound like you are. Okay. So I love Kitty though. She's going to die. I bet. But anyway, (laughs) so uh, yeah, Kitty starts caring for those convalescing. I forget what what their situation was, but those skills she learned, those self-sacrificing skills, she kept with her even when she was over that heartache. And that's the benefit of volunteering for others. You learn new skills and you learn that your situation, whatever it is, someone else always has it worse in a way. Um, So we are all helpful to each other in some way or another. Can I I say, so listen, you know, I've been like really in the house, in the house. You could just be in the house and not consider other people. Mm. And it's so easy to do that. And you volunteer your time even in the house. <laughs> you're still volunteering. You take yeah. time every week to do that. But I get you. I get but what you're saying. But it's so easy not to think about others. And, and so you can easily get in a pattern, even though you have this thing that you do, but you're in the confines of your home, home where you just stop thinking about other people or they just don't come up enough so that you're you, you understand what I'm trying to say? You just, I do. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges if and when um, society returns to a semi-normal state. People are going to have to have patience with each other again. And we haven't had to flex patience in a while. You sick mm-hmm. of somebody, you just closed Zoom meeting. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what How you do. How are we going to drive? How are we going to go back to the office? It's a ch- it's going to be a challenge. It is. It is. So I have. To, I know for myself. I have to try harder to reach out and think about other people because I can easily go the whole week and not talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yep. You're right. I feel you. So number two, meditate, focus on correct. And I don't mean meditate, like clear your mind of all thought. Um, this is a type of meditation where there's a goal at the end, like, uh, for example, focusing on correcting personality flaws. Um, just sit think and be honest with yourself about who you are and who you want to be. Also, maybe meditate on short term or long term goals. Where do you want to be in a month, in a year, in five years? And what do you need to get there? Just sitting and thinking can be so beneficial because it's not something that we're really encouraged to do. But when we slow down and take our time, um, we can map out our life in a way uh, with low pressure. Dang, I have all of these issues. So like me too. I I have a hard time just sitting and thinking. It's a true struggle for me. So why? Does it feel like a waste of time to you? Like, why am I sitting here? I could be yep. up doing something. And that's absolutely what, uh, we're encouraged to, yeah, be active. But I don't think that's right. <laughs> and, and But then it also, in that, um, I, I doesn't allow me to feel or think about 
things that are important if I can't mm-hmm. sit down and important do that. Important to you personally. Right, right, right. Important yeah, to me personally. Not just the path you're supposed to be on or whatever, but what's important to you personally. Nope. And so that's what that's again one of the reasons why I'm in therapy and why mm-hmm. I receive strength coach uh, help because I need to be able to feel and see what's important and then I could kind of focus a little better. Yeah, because if you're not taking time to meditate, then you might end up marrying someone 20 years your senior with really fat sausage-like hands that you hate. And big ears. And big ears. And for some reason, those sins are enough to leave him. (laughs) Anyway, this is the book. (laughs) Whatever. Number three, exercise. And I'm going to add train for a race, perhaps, um, because physical activity is beneficial. And proving to yourself what you can physically do at least for me, has helped me prove to, uh, it has made me a better worker, a better family member, um, just by taking that time in the morning to run a few miles and just prove something to myself before I have to prove anything to anyone else. Does that, that make good. sense? Mm-hmm. Um, now we get into like the fun stuff. Travel. Not right now, right? But no. <laughs> travel is a great way to take yourself out of your element and see how another world lives. So not just traveling for the Instagram pictures, but really learning about a culture, maybe even taking language classes and putting yourself, making your, trying to be a local in another area for a, a, a period of time. This is my favorite one. I mean, it's <laughs> fun. My favorite one. <laughs> for sure. To just be with the locals and just sit and not try to do this or that, but just be with the locals. Yeah. I'm um, reading inspiring books which you've mentioned. And I'm going to say also listening to inspiring music. And that might not always be the music with a beat that feels, you know, good in the body. It might be something that makes you think that who's the words um, you relate to or believe in. Yeah. Um, And then I like that you said, start a garden. Even if you live in an apartment, can you section off a piece of um, maybe your pantry or whatever near a window and start growing your own mints and basil? Can you do that? Because um, or even just having plants in your house and taking care of those can be a form of escapism, a healthy distraction. Also, you know, write. Um, (laughs) Like journal and diary stuff. That's such a torturing (laughs) process. I don't know. Yeah, don't do that. Do everything but that. No, no, do it. For some people that may work. For some people that may work. It just might. Maybe just a journal. Maybe just keep a journal. Yeah. That'll be a healthy distraction. (laughs) But that's it. Those are a few suggestions I have um, to distract yourself without ruining your life and the life of others like everyone does in this book. Anything you have to add, (laughs) Alexis? No, nothing more. That was great. Okay, let's move on. And we're back. (laughs) Alexis, can you give us some background on Leo Tolstoy and his motivation for Anna Karenina? I can. I could give you what I have. This is what I looked up. So, (laughs) Count Lev Nikolaevich Tolstoy was born September 9th, 1828, in the Russian Empire. He died November 20th, 1910, at the age of 82. His mother died before he was two. His father died when he was nine, and that's like in 1937. His grandmother, who became his caretaker, died 11 months after his father died. Come on, wow. His next guardian died in 1941. I mean, death was surrounding him, right? Is this Hamilton or Tolstoy? <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
But he did yeah. um, have a cousin that had a really great influence on his um, childhood and later as a young man. He got married in 1862. He had 13 children, 10 survived infancy. And I think that's in 1862 is when he started to write War and Peace. Tolstoy, in his 20s, he was living his life. You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? He I'm was sure. living. He dropped out of university. He spent several years in and out of the army. During that time, he drank heavily. He gambled his family's fortune. He was a womanizer and he fraternized. <laughs> but he was popular. He was really popular. And so eventually he got to a spot where he found favor with the Russian authorities and um, throughout his long career. And he was eventually welcomed into the close-knit world that was the literary society in St. Petersburg. In 19, excuse me, in 1858, four years before his first marriage, he had an adulterous affair with a married peasant who bore him an illegitimate child. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, um, he was a count that was fascinated with peasant life. He was a, a rev- he was revolutionary in his thinking and he was an activist and a reformer. And a lot of his. Um, he's considered a moral authority. I'm Russia? sorry, come again? <laughs> yeah. Despite that background, he is considered a, a moral authority and his teachings on civil disobedience um, inspired Gandhi and Martin Luther King and then, of course, some others. Um, his legacy is him as an author and a philosopher, even though his um, youth, um, he wasn't serious, nor was he moral. Mm-hmm. Okay. When he was 34, he courted and married 18-year-old Sonia Beers. 34, 18. Does that sound familiar to you? Mm-hmm. A lot daughter, of this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. The daughter of a former playmate. Again, more familiarity. Many of the details in the couple's original courtship are captured in Anna Karenina with Levin and Kitty's storyline. He kept a diary. Um, he was big on diaries. Him and his wife kept diaries. Their, the battles that they had were well documented in both of their diaries. They would be yelling at each other in their own <laughs> diary. And then I, you won't believe what this fool done told me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, his diary became the laboratory for the experiences and his self-analysis and, and fiction. So let's talk a little bit about Anna Karenina. Um, well, Anna Karenina was first published in 1878, although it was initially released in a series of installments from 1873 to 1877 in a periodical called The Russian Messenger. I knew it. I hate this because these books were never meant to be published together and they just get stupid long. And I feel like they were paid for the word. Like, you know, you you get paid for five parts. Okay, then we'll commission another five parts and maybe another five parts. We've read another book like this. I mean, there are many books like this that just seem excessively long because they Mm -hmm. were never published together. Uh, So now binding it together is as big as three Bibles and a dictionary. (laughs) This book is crazy long. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. But that makes perfect sense. I was wondering that. And then it's broken up in all these parts. And I Mm -hmm. thought this book was never meant to be bound together. Yep. So I get it now. Okay. There you go. This novel he considered was his first. And Tolstoy was 45 at the time. And he had been writing and publishing for 20 years. That's what I'm I'm waiting to turn 40, 45, like um, Toni Morrison and Tolstoy. And then I'll start writing seriously, promise. <laughs> and, and I'm sure everyone will appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, let's see. There's a lot of interesting stuff. Okay. Here's a piece. Um, here. In the same way, the problems most of the married couples faced in his stories and books resemble the experiences of his family and friends 
infidelity, misunderstandings, incompatibility, jealousy, and illegitimate children. The English novels um, that were popular at that time were focused on a happy ending. Tolstoy was like, no, leave that stuff alone. We're going to start with that. We're going to start with that. He said they should begin with that event and explore what happens next, which is what he did in his work. And so he had seen young people passionately in love as he and his wife once were and whose marriages like his own ended in disaster. And he had seen his own sister's life ruined by her husband's many affairs. And the family tragedies challenged Tolstoy's dreams of family life so much so that when he began writing Anna Karenina, as he later explained, he was absorbed in trying to understand the idea of family. So, I love that because it's not about, and then they lived happily ever after. No, it starts with the wedding and then what really happened. Mm-hmm, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I thought that was a very That's way more interesting. Mm-hmm, it sure does. It gets you right on in there, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. He, um, remember I said he started his own um, Church. school of thought. Like yeah. Kanye, he did it first. <laughs> Yeah, he did it first. Tell a story. And then he ran for czar. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Distracting. <laughs> Tell a story. Rejected religion because he saw them as corrupt institutions that falsified true Christianity. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so like I said, he made his own faith. And, and from that, people really looked up to him. They thought he was a great man, a, a philosopher. You know, that's, that's a lot. But that's it about Tolstoy. Okay. Thanks. Now, can you give us a brief synopsis of the book without any spoilers? Girl, you know I believe in brief. (laughs) Anna Karenina is a woman of high social standing in late 19th century Russia who is involved in an adulterous affair with tragic consequences. So, Kari, what were your your first thoughts in reading this book? It's too long. So my first thoughts were it's too long. Second, um, I have never seen a book this long and wanted to read it all of my first thoughts were about how the book is too long (laughs) Uh, as I started the book I thought well now I've never seen a novel with such well-developed characters I mean you feel with each person you meet you sit with them for a while and you get to know everything about them and there's enough pages to do so so and uh, everything about them before you even get to the quote-unquote main characters or at least the um character titular character anyway before mm -hmm. you even get to Anna you didn't met everyone she's ever known, her whole family. <laughs> and it doesn't feel uh, disjointed at all. So, you know, it's brilliant. I'm not hating it at all. It's just very long. What about you? What were your first thoughts with Anna Karenina? Anna Karenina. So, I, you know, I saw this as a ballet and I was like, I need to know what this story is. So I bought the book years ago. I actually started reading it and never dived into it because it's long it's really long you got to be in a a mind space or forced to read it so um that happened and so as I read it got started with it I was like intrigued I was ready Mm -hmm. to tackle it so that was me all right well thank you for that now is the time we've all been waiting for a deep dive into Anna Karenina with spoilers Lots of them. You probably want them. So I'll do the best I can. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. (laughs) Take it away, Alexis. Part one. All families. 36,000 parts. (laughs) For real though. For real. All families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. 
Anna Karenina tells the story of three families, the Oblonskys, the Karens, and the Levins. Listen, listen, it's a lot of uh, names in here, okay? And they're Russian names, okay? So work with me. All right. So our story begins with the Oblonsky family. That's Steva. He's 34. This is handsome. This handsome um, guy that, you know, people like him. And his wife, Dolly, who's 33. They've been married for nine years. They have seven children, two of which have died. She's birthed seven children. They have five living. Dolly finds out that Steva has had an adulterous affair with their former French governess um, after she found a letter revealing the infidelity. Steven is Steva, not Steven. Steva, as I mentioned, is handsome, but he doesn't have um, amorous feelings towards his wife. He's disappointed that his wife found, finds out. He's thinking like, you know, I, she, she should know I'm cheating. She really should know. <laughs> because for real, she's like old now. She's like 36, I think, which is no, like crazy. No, she's 33. She's okay, she's 33, 33 now. The, the looks of her youth have faded. And me, I'm vibrant. People love me. I'm like really popular. I love myself more than anyone could ever love me. I mean, look at us. Of course, I'm going to cheat. Come on. Yeah. And why don't you know this? So he, she, he, Steven describes his wife as worn out, aged, no longer beautiful, not remarkable for anything. She's, she's simple. old, Alexis. <laughs> 33 she's had these children. <laughs> and now she's old, wrinkled, shriveled up, useless. Oh. It's not even fair for him. It's how he sees it. He said that he would have tried to do a better job of um, hiding, hiding the relationship if he knew she was going to be upset by it. <laughs> he is a narcissist. Okay. Big And for real, everyone loves him. So it's hard not to love him also. Mm-hmm. And she kind of is a little like sticking to what she is. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> she old though. What you going to do? She like 33 or something. She's 33. She got two more, two more good years left on this here earth. So he says... Um, of course, that she should know and she should be indulgent because, you know, look at her. That's his thought. That's what his words. I am dumb. Anyway, okay. <laughs> yes. So she's not indulgent and she wants out. She's like, I can't believe this happened. She is really taken aback to find out that her husband was cheating. She really is. She wanted to take the children and go to her mother. She wanted to punish shame and take revenge on her husband for his action. But she couldn't. She still loved him. She also That's realized why she wanted to punish him because if she wasn't, if she was really done with him, she'd have been gone. Yeah, she would have been gone. She didn't want to leave that man. Um, she also realized that she already had a difficult time taking care of the children, but she certainly couldn't take care of them with Steva gone. That's what she realized. So Steva, he did beg Dolly to forgive him. He said, I'm guilty, but forgive me. Don't punish the children because Steva saw her as a good wife. She didn't think of herself as one, but he saw her as one. Dolly isn't quite ready to um, forgive. So during this challenging time and their relationship, Steve asked his sister to come visit and talk some sense into his wife. Steve's sister is Anna Karenin. Um, and Dolly wants to be mad at Anna, but she's not. But she can't be because Anna also has that uh, wonderful personality like her brother where everybody loves This is loves the theme. Her. This family was obviously good looking, very full of themselves and charismatic. So it's hard to stay mad at them. Mm-hmm. Steva goes to work and while at work, his friend Levin comes for a visit. Steva and Levin have been friends since their youth. They're two very different people. Levin is like shy and unsure of himself and 
and he's 32 and I'm married. So he's like getting to a point where that's starting to look very questionable. He's old too. And you know what? He's honest and he's a hard worker. That's another reason they're different. Yeah. And, and he's also very self-aware. Oh, he okay, is. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Levin lives in the country in a large estate. He's got 8,000 acres and he farms. Uh, Steve, on the other hand, lives in Moscow and works for the government. They despise each other's life, but they friends. That happens. So Steve kept trying to get to the bottom of why Levin was there for a visit when he just popped in at his office. He starts, Levin starts to tell him, but he gets a little bear, embarrassed. Levin, again, is shy and unconfident, but he's an aristocrat. And he's actually in love with Steve's sister-in-law, who is Kitty, and she's 18. Levin says he, come, he came to say a couple words, but he never actually says them. Steve is like, come on, man, tell me what it is. I want to know what's going on. Steve tells Levin, um, where he can see Kitty and makes plans to meet up later and they can chat. He still hasn't told Steva. Levin still hasn't told Steva what he wants. So Levin's purpose for coming was actually to propose to Kitty. Levin was friends with Kitty and Dolly's brother. Kitty and Dolly are sisters. So he used to visit their home all the time and their home so served as sort of a comfort for him because his parents had apparently died when he was young and he fell in love with their oldest sister. I think the oldest sister's name is Natalie. And he the also- The oldest sister's name is Dolly. Okay. The middle sister is Natalie. So he fell in love with all of them. <laughs> he, was just fell, he fell in love with all of them at different points in his life. Yes, he loved them all. Until they got married and then he stopped loving them to his credit. <laughs> And yes. just admired them from afar. Mm -hmm. He considered them goddesses, having watched them um, growing up. So Levin had spent some time in Moscow, which is where um, Steva and Dolly live. They live in Moscow. Uh, not too long ago. And during this time, he spent time every day with Kitty and he fell in love with Kitty. Now, this is Kitty is just 18. He's 32. He fell in love with her. That was what they did back then. Then he got in his head, um, in his own head and kind of came up with a bunch of reasons why it wouldn't work with him and Kitty. So he left. He just he beat it. <laughs> That's it. He said, I got to go. Abruptly, too. They yeah. were like, oh, we're loving. He's going back to the country. <laughs> yeah. So he didn't have a thing. He didn't have a thing that he did. Um, he didn't have a position or a title. This is like kind of the things that he sees wrong with why he can't marry um, Kitty, because Kitty is a princess, right? Yeah. Her mom's a princess. Yeah. And so um, and he didn't think her parents would agree. He's also unattractive. That's what he says. He said he ain't cute. And then he's very self-aware. <laughs> very. <laughs> and then he even he mentions it. There's this adult child thing where he's 18 and she's 32. But when he went home to the country and thought about it, he said, wait a minute. I could pull her. I could get her. Why not? <laughs> so he goes back a couple months later. Um, he's like, I'm going to try to get her. But he learns from Steva that Kitty is entertaining another man. This man is Army Officer Vronsky, who also is handsome, has big connections. Handsome And it's not like Kitty's a player. This is her first year presented to society. She's 18 and suitors are, she's beautiful. She's like a beautiful, sweet girl, little flower. And so Vronsky seems to be interested. And if Levin's interested, he better step up. Yeah, but, and then also Levin left. So Levin's gone. So <laughs> we don't know what happened with Levin. He just disappeared. And so now we got another suitor. So we're going to entertain him. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Kitty really did enjoy spending time with Levin, but she didn't feel like she was in love with him. Kitty's father thought that Levin was an ideal candidate for his daughter, whereas the mother thought Vronsky would be a better match. I think because he was cute. 
Vronsky, I think the mom was a little seduced by Vronsky because he was like the young soldier and very, very handsome and well-connected himself. I uh-huh. think his mom is a princess, maybe. Um, and then yep. the other guy, Levin, is like, oh, what'd you say? He's 32? He's 32. Ooh, ancient. Too old. I don't think we got an age on Vronsky because I would tell you if I did. Um, but her father... Sounds like they're similar in age, though. Like he's in his early 20s, probably. Oh, yeah, with her. Mm-hmm. So her father, Kitty's father, thought Vronsky wasn't serious about his interest in, in Kitty. He could just see that as a father. He was a man and he knew. mm -hmm. Yeah, Those weren't sincere interests. He was just there. So he was just being entertained by her. So Levin comes to propose. And while Kitty is happy, um, she thinks of Vronsky and says, oh, wait, I cannot forgive me. And her mother's in her ear like, don't marry that old man. You want Vronsky. He fine, girl. Get him so he can be my son-in-law. She was already close to the door when she heard his steps. No, it's dishonest. What am I afraid of? I haven't done anything wrong. What will be, will be. I'll tell the truth. I can't feel awkward with him. Here he is, she said to herself, seeing his whole strong and timid figure with his shining eyes directed at her. She looked straight into his face as if begging him for mercy and gave him her hand. I've come at the wrong time, it seems. Too early, he said, glancing around the empty drawing room. When he saw that his expectations had been fulfilled, that nothing prevented him from speaking out, his face darkened. Oh, no, said Kitty, and she sat down at the table. But this is just what I wanted, to find you alone, he began, not sitting down and not looking at her so as not to lose courage. Mama will come out presently. Yesterday she got very tired. Yesterday, she spoke, not knowing what her lips were saying and not taking her pleading and caressing eyes off him. He glanced at her. She blushed and fell silent. I told you I didn't know whether I had come for long, that it depended on you. She hung her head lower and lower, not knowing how she would reply to what was coming. That it depended on you, he repeated. I wanted to say, I wanted to say, I came for this, that, to be my wife, he said, Hardly aware of what he was saying, but feeling that the most dreadful part had been said, he stopped and looked at her. She was breathing heavily, not looking at him. She was in ecstasy. Her soul overflowed with happiness. She had never imagined that the voicing of his love would make such a strong impression on her. But this lasted only a moment. She remembered Vronsky. Raising her light, truthful eyes to Levin and seeing his desperate face, She hastily replied, It cannot be. Forgive me. How close she had been to him just a minute ago. How important for his life. And now how alien and distant from him she had become. It couldn't have been otherwise, he said, not looking at her. He bowed and was about to leave. Vronsky didn't grow up with his family. He didn't remember his father. He was brought up in a military camp um, for youth. He was having fun with Kitty. He had no intention of marrying her. Vronsky had told Kitty that he never made a decision about, um, he never made a decision without his mother. So she assumed that since his mother was coming to town, Vronsky was waiting to discuss marriage with his mom and then he would propose to her. So Vronsky, he actually didn't even respect or love his mother. Hmm. He went to the train (laughs) to meet his mother and he ran into Steva. Okay, now remember, Steva is Dolly's husband. 
the philanderer. Oblonsky, the good-looking cheater. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. chatted about dinner at Kitty's house. Um, Steve asked if Vronsky had met his friend Levin. Vronsky said, yeah, but he seemed a little rude. <laughs> Steve said mm-hmm. he met him at Kitty's house after he, he was rejected. Yeah. And he said if he was rude, that's because something was on his mind. He had intended. He tells him that he intended to propose to Kitty uh, last <laughs> night. And Vronsky, Oblonsky, I mean, Steve is me like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> oh, have you heard? <laughs> Levin tried to propose to Kitty. <laughs> Meanwhile, Vronsky like, my Kitty? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that ain't gonna work out. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just like, he did. He was rude and he kind of ran off. So I don't know. But he felt proud that Kitty told Levin no, expecting a proposal from him. <laughs> which is mad crazy because he did not say like when um Steva mentioned it to him because Steva is the sister-in-law to Kitty he was like you know he was going the brother-in-law he was going to propose Vronsky changed the subject so <laughs> it's like I'm not going to propose don't don't put that on me so right. crazy anyway so the train arrives Vronsky meets Anna and is immediately captivated now Anna and Steva brother and sister okay um, immediately captivated but learns that she's married with a child turns out Vronsky's mom and Anna shared a cabin on the train together and got to know each other really well Vronsky's mom really likes Anna and yeah he, his mom really likes Anna so while they're at the train station a train accident occurs and it turns out a watchman is hit by the train and dies. They like his body is mangled or cut in half. I mean, it's just an awful, awful accident. Anna sees this, though, as a uh, sign of, that something bad is going to happen. The man is the sole provider for um, a large family. And Anna says, can nothing be done for him? Vronsky hears this and goes and takes money to the widow. That, that interaction with Vronsky makes Anna feel uneasy. Because she's like, she felt that what he was doing wasn't for the family. It was for her in some way. And that was improper. Yeah. Steve calls for Anna to come to Moscow to convince his wife. That's why he was picking her up at the train. Anna chats it up with Dolly and convinces her to stay with Steve. Anna tells Dolly, Steve still loves her. She tells her that she would forgive her husband if he cheated. So you should do it too. Um, Kitty comes by. (laughs) 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 Kitty comes by and meets Anna, and again, these people are great. They love them. They're beautiful. Anna immediately becomes infatuated. Excuse me. Kitty becomes infatuated with Anna's beauty and personality. Kitty encourages Anna to come to this ball where she thinks Vronsky is going to propose to her. She just likes setting her audience up. And she wants all her friends there, including you, Anna. You my new friend. And I remember this too, being young and like falling in love with older married women who seem to have it all together and just wanting to do whatever they did. Be just like them. And that's what Kitty feels for Anna. Which a lot of young girls feel for Anna because she's younger and beautiful, but married and like seems to have it all together. Yeah. And so So, Kitty's like, come watch me get proposed to. Yeah, she is like mad interested in this. So when Anna arrives at the ball, um, Vronsky attempts to get her attention, but she ignores him. Um, he dances several dances with Kitty, but nothing happens. Kitty's like, but he, he ain't really say nothing about it. But I know this is the night. Anyway, there's nothing specific about the conversation. His mom is here. Everything, you know, everything's in place. Be, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they dance together. But um, before. But Vronsky doesn't ask Kitty to dance this like special dance. Um, but instead, he's smiling and grinning in Anna's face. And Kitty mm-hmm. immediately Married sees Anna that. with the baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
she immediately recognizes that Vronsky has fallen in love with Anna and her dreams are crushed. Her dreams of marrying Vronsky, that is. She knows it's just not going to happen. Anna immediately um, leaves the ball because she senses something as well and takes out of town um, the next day because she's uncomfortable with the physical reaction that she's having with Vronsky. Vronsky happens to be on the same There's chemistry change. there, mm-hmm. for sure. Not happens to be, he planned to be on that same train. And he tells her, I came to be where you are. And when Anna's husband picks her up at the train station, she starts to notice that her husband is funny looking like he got really big ears. But okay. Interesting. So, you know, she and was he to- always this old? Because <laughs> Bronsky young. <laughs> exactly. So Anna's back in St. Petersburg trying to get back to her normal routine. However, Vronsky is persistent and he kind of inserts himself into society events so that he can run into Anna. After Levin and and Vronsky leave, Kitty is feeling completely humiliated. These feelings, um, she couldn't get past them. She she like stops eating. She loses weight. She's sick. Over the course of the winter, she gets worse. And her father is like, he knows she's sick because she was humiliated by Vronsky. But he's like, you need to get over that. This, of course, makes her even more distressed. They got doctors coming in to evaluate her and see what's wrong with her. There's even a young doctor that comes in. And he's in, um, he's supposed to be a really good doctor. But then some people think he's bad. But then everybody uses him, too. It's really weird. Um, but anyway, so her mother feels like it's her fault that her daughter was hurt. So it she is. won't talk about it. And the doctor suggested after the doctors meet, they're like, well, why don't you go abroad for a change of scenery? Remember on our um, Robert Louis Stevenson episode, you was like, how come doctors don't prescribe travel anymore? Exactly. Can you imagine the prescription being for a ticket to somewhere and you would feel better? Yes. You need a change of scenery. I don't know. We done read a number of books where that is the... Um, recommendation yes for sure Mm. Mm -hmm. so they go off to germany to this spa so levin you know as we said levin was rejected so we jump back to levin he proposed to to kitty so he's now at home depressed he's waiting to hear that kitty been married he's disappointed he's not married because as i mentioned he's getting old by society standards to be single for a man okay so one day steva came to the country to visit levin steva let levin know that Kitty was not married and that she was, in fact, sick. And there was much concern. So Levin is kind of low-key happy that she's sick. He's like, good, that's what she gets. That's what she gets. <laughs> <laughs> but he's determined to forget about Kitty. Vronsky, jump back to them, continues to pursue Anna. Anna attempted to reject his advances. Anna's- did she, though? <laughs> <laughs> she did. She did try to reject him. Mm, girl. I mean... There are more firm ways to reject people. Yeah, you <laughs> know, like, do don't that. be where they at. If you know they're going to be there, don't just show up looking your best. Right, right. <laughs> if you're really trying to avoid this man that came all the way to, what, Moscow for you. Yeah. In Moscow, right? Yeah. They're back in St. Petersburg now. Oh, St. Petersburg. Yeah. yeah. So Anna's cousin's wife is actually Vronsky's cousin, which made it easy. Is this Betsy? Yes. Oh, that's why she offered this union yes, for this match. Yes, So And her husband ain't no problem. Ain't no problem. That ain't no problem. <laughs> but she's also in that social society with enlightened thinking. This is considered enlightened thinking, too. So um, at one event, Anna's husband shows up and saw Anna and Vronsky seated separately. And they have an, they're having an animated conversation. Seated separately together, like everybody on one side of the room and Anna and Vronsky on the other side going, Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Here we go. Stop it. You said, Can I feel your muscles? 
exactly that's what's happening y'all that is that's how the screen the scene is described okay so but her husband who is alexi and his husband is alexi he doesn't think anything of it however others in in attendance noticed and whispered about the incident and his husband alexi he said others thought it wasn't decent and so he wanted to say something to his wife because you know you got a look that you're trying to maintain since Alexi thought jealousy was an insulting and humiliating feeling and he didn't want to be guided by it, but he did want Anna to be aware of her behavior and how her behavior made her look in society. Here is what I intend to say. He went on coldly and calmly, and I ask you to listen to me. As you know, I look upon jealousy as an insulting and humiliating feeling, and I would never allow myself to be guided by it but there are certain laws of propriety against which one cannot trespass with impunity. I did not notice it this evening, but judging by the impression made upon the company, everyone noticed that you behaved and bore yourself not quite as one might wish. <sighs> I really don't understand, said Anna, shrugging her shoulders. He doesn't care, she thought, but society noticed and that troubles him. You're unwell, Alexei Alexandrovich, she added, stood up, and was about to go out of the door, but he moved forward as if wishing to stop her. His face was ugly and sullen, as Anna had never seen it before. She stopped, and leaning her head back to one side with her quick hand began taking out her hairpins. Well, sir, I'm listening for what comes next, she said calmly and mockingly, and even listening with interest because I wish to understand what it's all about. She spoke and was surprised by the naturally calm, sure tone with which she spoke and her choice of words. I have no right to enter into all the details of your feelings, and generally I consider it useless and even harmful, Alexei Alexandrovich began. Rummaging in our souls, we often dig up something that ought to have lain there unnoticed. Your feelings are a matter for your conscience, but it is my duty to you, to myself, and to God to point out your duties to you. Our lives are bound together and bound not by men, but by God. Only a crime can break this bond and a crime of that sort draws down a heavy punishment. Uh, I don't understand a thing. Ah, oh, my God. And unfortunately, I'm sleepy, she said, quickly running her hand over her hair, searching for any remaining hairpins. Anna, for God's sake, don't talk like that, he said meekly. Perhaps I am mistaken, but believe me, what I am saying, I say as much for myself as for you. I am your husband, and I love you. For a moment, her face fell, and the mocking spark in her eye went out. But the word love again made her indignant. She thought, love, but can he love? If he hadn't heard there was such a thing as love, he would never have used the word. He doesn't even know what love is. Alexei Alexandrovich, really, I don't understand, she said. Explain what it is you find, please. Allow me to finish. I love you, but I am not speaking of myself. The main persons here are our son and yourself. It may well be, I repeat, that my words will seem completely unnecessary and inappropriate to you. It may be that they are caused by an error on my part. In that case, I beg you to pardon me, but if you yourself feel that there are even the slightest grounds, I beg you to think. And if your heart speaks, to tell me. Anna didn't listen to her husband's warning, and almost a year later, Bronsky and Anna's intimate relationship began. Alexa and Anna carried on life as usual, but he was colder towards Anna. And so when people would ask about Anna, Alexi continued, he would defend her saying she was above suspicion. He was like, she ain't doing nothing. She's fine. Thank you. Thank you for asking. 
but they still continued to live very separate lives. Alexi would go to the spa in the winter, and then other times he would keep himself extremely busy with work obligations, while Anna went to the country, which wasn't far from Vronsky's regiment, and his cousin Betsy. Alexi didn't often go to the country house, and if he did, he never stayed overnight. But one day, Vronsky visits Anna at her request, and she tells him she's pregnant. Vronsky says, Tell your husband you don't love him. Let's go away together. But Anna doesn't want to leave her son. So she tells Vronsky she can't do that. Vronsky, they're having this conversation, but Vronsky has to hurry up and leave because he's going to the horse races. Everyone is going to the horse races that day. Alexi just stops. He's racing in the, he's, he's one of the racers, right? Yep. Vronsky's one of the racers. Um, Alexi stops by the country house and Anna tells him, oh, I'm on my way to the races with Bessie. Okay. So we can't go together. Alexi goes to the races himself. He sees his wife with Betsy. And although, as we mentioned, Vronsky is, is racing. He's on the horse. He's supposed <laughs> to win, right? But instead, his horse falls, breaks his back, and has to be shot. So they're in the stand. Alexi, Anna, Betsy, they're in the stands watching this happen. Anna sees this and is visibly grieving, but still trying to hide her face, that Vronsky is possibly injured. Alexi sees Anna visibly grieving and attempts to try to get her to leave, but she ignores him. And Betsy is like, go on, go on, honey, go on with your husband and I'll, I'll send a letter to my cousin. I'll let you know if he okay or not. Right. I thought this was described beautifully because there is a fallen rider before Vronsky mm-hmm. and everyone's like, oh, except Anna, because she only had her eye on one, one rider, rider, which was Vronsky and her husband sees this mm-hmm. and is like, I know everything now. Yep. He, I know. He, witches, know. he witnesses it all because he's yeah. within sight of her. And this horse, the impatience of Vronsky leading to the horse's demise, like him, the horse having to pay for Vronsky's actions, his brassness, mm-hmm. symbolism. That mess was good. Okay, go ahead. Right? Good stuff. Good stuff. And so she's still trying to hide her emotions. Her husband still still sees it. Um, she's visibly distressed by the, ac- um, the accident. Alexi again offers to escort Anna away, but she refuses. Eventually, she does leave with her husband. Alexi begins to tell Anna about her improper behavior and says, perhaps I'm mistaken. Anna says, wait, nope, you're not mistaken. I was in despair and I couldn't help it. I listen to everything you think I'm doing. I'm doing it twice. (laughs) I think of you. Excuse me. I listen to you. I think of him. I love him. I am his mistress. I cannot stand you. I am afraid of you. I hate you. (gasps) Okay. How do you feel about Anna? Like to me. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about Anna right here? She's a harsh woman. That I mean, that was a little much. That was deep. <laughs> what has he done to deserve this? At no point. So other than her saying he got big ears, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'm just disgusted. But she was like, I'm afraid of you. I'm like, where did the fear come from? Is he doing stuff that they not telling us about? This is the thing. Why are you so afraid of him? Why are you he, afraid? This isn't a man that's given to emotion, period. No. So I get that you feel distance from him. But how you, you know what this reminds me of? Uh-oh. Some women who weapon, weaponize their fear and tears. Mm. That's Anna. Yep. I'm afraid of you. Stop it, Anna. Come on. You're in these streets and you doing this man wrong. And you know what? Don't nobody believe you. Right. You ain't afraid of nobody. She is not afraid of him. I do not believe she is afraid of him. There's no, no evidence to suggest that. And you know, it's so unforgivable because her brother is also, 
you know, unfaithful, but he's so likable. Anna is not likable. At this moment, he's not, she is not likable at all. No. Even Every time her brother walks into a scene, I'm like, oh, the party about to get started. We about to have some fun. Exactly. I know he ain't no good. Exactly. But, but you, you know, know. he's good looking. He's charismatic. Yes. What's Anna? She's just evil. She does <laughs> look very evil at this point in the book. Very yeah. evil. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Alexi was like, okay, all right. I expect the same outward conventions of propriety be observed until I decide what I'm going to do for my honor. And I'll let you know when I decide. Part four, Dolly, that's Steve's wife, has moved to the country to reduce household expenses. She's moved to the house that was her uh, dowry house. So this is her and her family. The house was in need of repair and Steve was supposed to fix it up and so that the family could move in there. Now, Steve is a little glad because, you know, I guess he was playing funny with the money. And, you know, they just needed a break. So they had to go out to the country. So Dolly had fond childhood memories at the time in the country. But those memories don't translate to adulthood. She's like, what? This house is in mad disrepair. We need to figure it out. And Steve was supposed to go there, see what needed to be repaired and have someone repair it so that it's appropriate for his family. I know you're going to get to this, but it's it's raining inside the house when they get there. He ain't take care of nobody. Yeah. He's all about the party. He's not about the responsibility. He's not. He is like a, um, a young man, a young, immature man that is just living his best. He's living his single life, but he's married with five. I think at this point they had another child. So six children. And he's not young. And he's not at this point. young. Right. <laughs> He is doing whatever he wants to, living his life like he's single. Um, so, yeah, he does a half job trying to get the house ready um, for her to come. So when she's like, it don't have this, it don't have that. It, it's a hot mess. It's absolutely a hot mess. It should have had the same conveniences of the house in Moscow, and it did not. But Dolly sent a letter to Steva with her complaints. But by the time he responded, he, he taking his time responding, OK, everything was figured out thanks to the nanny. Steve wrote back he would come at the first opportunity and apologize for not having thought of everything, I guess. Instead of coming himself, Steve instead sends a letter to Levin, who happens to be 35 miles away, to go help. Dolly's disappointed, of course, that her husband didn't come, but that she sent Levin instead. But she, Dolly's like, oh, okay, well, why don't you come to dinner, Levin? Um, because... This is my and idea. Can I just preface? No funny business. So, you know, it's not like she's trying to flirt with Levin or anything. Right. She saw this as an opportunity <laughs> to find out what happened between Kitty and Levin. So Dolly told Levin Kitty would be staying, coming to stay for the summer. Although Levin pretends not to want to talk about Kitty, he's secretly eager to hear more about her. Levin eventually tells Dolly that he proposed to Kitty and she refused him. Levin assumed that Dolly knew, but she did not. She said it was she thought so, but she didn't really know the details of it. Levin was so Dolly is like, oh, man, poor kitty. Levin like, why poor kitty? Shoot, poor me. <laughs> and um, Dolly She's is like, like, you don't understand women, do you? Yeah. And Dolly is like, um, kitty had to make a choice between you and Vronsky. He she saw every day. You she hadn't seen in a long time. How could she make a decision like that? Levin, however, is convinced that. Um, Kitty and their romance, the potential for Levin and Kitty is dead. There's no hope for that. The next day, Levin sees Kitty at a distance on a, um, I think she's in a carriage or something. And he's like, oh, I still love her. <laughs> I love her. Like, <laughs> like she had just broke my heart. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Kitty is now staying with Dolly. So Dolly wants to get Kitty and Levin together. Kitty still um, has feelings, some type of feelings 
um, excuse me, Levin still has some type of feeling. So he's not really trying to go by Dolly's. In fact, he decides to take a trip to avoid Kitty and Dolly. And while on his trip, and I can't remember where he goes, but he goes away and he runs into a man that thinks that Levin would be a good match for his daughter. He's like, oh, okay, young single man, why don't you marry my daughter? <laughs> and Levin is like, no, nah, no, nah, if it can't be Kitty, I can't marry nobody. After Alexi spends time thinking about how to handle his wife, he decided that she was a depraved woman and always was. He just missed the sign. He just tried to deceive himself because she was uh, out of pity for her. He even talked himself into believing that the son they shared wasn't his and he grew cold yeah. towards the son. So yeah. his options were to fight a duel. Well, that's not him. He ain't no guy. No, he's man. a gentleman. He don't know how to fight. A, a gentleman and a coward. And a co- <laughs> <laughs> Let's all calm down. <laughs> what other options are there? Divorce, number two. But divorce was too scandalous. So his decision, he wrote Anna a letter and he told her, whatever your actions, they do not justify a divorce. So for me, I'm convinced you repented and our life must go on unchanged. You will assist me in eradicating the cause of our discord <sighs> and forget the past. Alexi was pleased with himself because he wasn't cruel and he was open to her returning and he sent her money along with a letter. He's feeling very pious right now. Yes. I'm taking care of your son. I don't know whose son this is. Might be mine. Might be a stranger <laughs> in the street, but I'm taking care of him. And you know, you can even do what you do as long as I don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I thought I just felt like everybody was crazy at this point. <laughs> and it's surprised by the letter and angry. He doesn't give her the divorce that she wants. Although she wants to take her child and leave, she returns to Alexi. Part five, Vronsky knows Anna is pregnant and feels that he should resign from the military service, but he doesn't want to give up his professional goals. He also finds that that adult. He also finds out that although people feel like he's wealthy, they think he's a well off man. He is really living paycheck to paycheck, y'all. Paycheck. Mm -hmm. He ain't got no money. He could ask his mom for a loan because his mom is like very well. A countess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, he doesn't because he, you know, he doesn't care for her. He hate her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Vronsky wonders if he can actually take care of Anna. Vronsky's friend tells him, listen, don't let women hold you back. They're ruining your professional career. So don't marry. Don't marry nobody. This is a thought he's decided to have after she became pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wonder if I can even take care of you. Mm, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, just like that. So Vronsky is like really considering this message one time when he's talking to her, and, but he doesn't tell her that he's thinking about it. Vronsky then meets up with Anna and she tells him she told Alexi about them. Vronsky's like, OK, let's leave your son and get out of here. This situation is really humiliating. OK, let's go. And it's like, nope, nope, I'm not going to do that. I can't I can't leave my son. So Anna goes back home. And she tells her husband, look, I'm a bad woman. I'm a criminal woman. I ain't going to change. Alexi reminded her (laughs) that he was willing to ignore her past as long as he was not disgraced. And the situation is not known to society. She told him, I can't be your wife. He said, fine. You can have the rights of an honest woman, but do not be putting my business in the street. You need to be a lot more discreet. Don't let the society or the servants accuse you and don't bring that man in my house. So Alexi and Anna go on living in the same house. It's a mess. Completely (laughs) estranged from each other. Alexi comes home every day just so as not to set off any alarms. But he don't eat dinner at home at all. Anna sees Vronsky elsewhere 
but Alexi knows that's happening. Vronsky doesn't come to the house until one day. Vronsky comes to the home after he receives a note from Anna that um, he should come to the house because Alexi will be away. She's like, I can't leave. I'm unhappy. Come here. He's going to be gone from seven and won't return to 10. Vronsky like takes a nap or something and <laughs> people are terrible. <laughs> and he, yeah, he oversleeps. He's like, oh, I'm late to go see my mistress at her husband's house. <laughs> and he does, and he comes to the house late. And when he comes to the house, he runs smack dab into Alexi. That's crazy. Alexi is heated, but he's a gentleman first, okay? He's a gentleman. He is he heated. a gentleman, a bad name. <laughs> he said, I gave you one request. One. Anna blatantly disrespected that request. Alexi charges up Anna about the disrespect of having Vronsky in his house. And he tells her he's leaving for Moscow and he won't return to the house. And she'll be informed of his next steps through his lawyer. And his son is going to his sister's house. And it's like, oh, don't take Sarajevo. Wait, his name is Sarayosha. That's the son. That's Anna's son. She said, don't take the son. You just want to hurt me. He said, you know what? That is true. I do want to hurt you. Because um, I don't even like that kid no more. I don't like him. And I don't think but you ain't going to have him. <laughs> but you're not going to have him. And then she threw this one on him. I'm preggers. Mm. Da, da, da. He is like <laughs> through with her. Alexi goes to Moscow, sees an attorney about a discreet divorce. The attorney told him you need more than a couple letters from her lover for a divorce. In fact, I think the church needs to be involved in this one. But he said, if you give us a permission, we'll get all the proof you need. Alexi takes some time to think about it. And while in Moscow, Alexi runs into Steva and Dolly. And Steva's like, hey, cousin, hey, brother-in-law, come <laughs> on. Because we're walking party. Yes, he's like, <laughs> come hang out. We want to do some things. Go talk to my wife. Go say hi to my wife. And Alexi got an attitude. He is just mad in his feelings. So he's like, whatever. And they're like, ooh, something going on with him. Well, I'm going to check that out. <laughs> and Steven's like, well, I'm going to go talk to him and find out what's going on. So Steven, <laughs> Steven goes to his office the next day. Steven goes to his office. Yeah. Alexei had, Alexei had tried to refuse dinner, but of course they were quite persistent. He agrees to come. He also invites Levin and Kitty. Steven then stops by Alexei's office because he knew he was acting funny and he wanted to know what was really going on. So Alexi sees this as an opportunity to tell Steva that their relationship is about to change. He can't come to dinner because he's about to divorce his lowdown sister. And Steva mm -hmm. is shocked and ins insists that they can still be friends. That don't matter. We can still be friends. <laughs> we can be friends. You know what? I understand you saying this about my sister, but you know, it's us. We can still be friends. And also come to my come to dinner and speak to my wife. She know all about infidelity and forgiveness. Because <laughs> I'm in these streets. She'll help you. <laughs> She'll help you. Uh, Alexi <laughs> decides to come to dinner but acts cold towards the other guests. Eventually, he loosens up and he ends up talking to Dolly and tells Dolly of the plans to divorce Anna due to the um, infidelity. Of course, Dolly is shocked and she, she tries to convince Alexi, no, forgive forgive well first of all she's like you're you're mistaken because anna convinced me to stay with my cheating husband exactly. so anna can't be cheating you're wrong you must be wrong and he's like no i'm quite sure i would know <laughs> like <laughs> i got the proofs and stuff yeah i know mm -hmm. so part six levin and kitty talk about her rejection of his proposal so levin and kitty are at this dinner that Alexi is at where he acting funny they all at this dinner together 
So Levin and Kitty um, kind of get together and they start, you know, chit-chatting and whatnot. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they're playing this little game. And I was so confused by that game. But then I, you know, read the book. And then it was very clear to me. They were writing the first initial of every word. And yeah. um, <laughs> and saying... I'm sorry, but this is like extra special. So he's loosening up around her. She's loosening up around him. Every smile she throws his way is like evidence that she... That, still that there still may be potential mm-hmm. there for a relationship that she still cares. And so he writes some letters on the table. And this is like, I think the kid's table. So it's yep. made for writing on. Yep. Yeah. With chalk. With chalk. Yeah. And it's, it's really cute. Cause it's the first letter of everywhere. Like, why did you um, say that? Y D Y S. You know what I mean? It's really cute. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that happens. So they have an all this. So he just writes the letters down and looks at her and she looks at the letters and knows instantly what he's saying and she writes some letters down yeah this is cute it is it's really cute (laughs) and so after they have that did he he do the same thing i don't know what the three-letter word is i love you because she said yes to it do you remember that it's like will you marry me but but that's not three three letters letters. maybe in russia it is (laughs) marry me please (laughs) i don't know (laughs) anyway she says yes they agree to get married and they immediately make plans for a wedding back to alexi Alexi, he goes back to his hotel after dinner and he receives two telegrams. The most important telegram was from Anna. It said, I'm dying. Beg, implore you. Come. We'll die more peacefully with forgiveness. Here she go, weaponizing her tears again. Okay. Immediately, Alexi is like, this is a trick. She ain't dying. (laughs) But he rereads the telegram and considers if it wasn't a trick. He would look bad, though. So <laughs> if it wasn't, yeah. if she really is dying and he don't show up, how would that look? Come on, I'm a gentleman. I gotta get back there. So he goes back to Petersburg to be with his wife. Alexi was wishing, do you hear me? Wishing that his wife died. Can't wait till she dead because I hate <laughs> that chick. Can't wait till she dead. I'm going to dance on her grave. Hey. And he's like twerking at the train station like, my wife, my wife, she my dying. wife's about to die. Hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> then he gets to the house and he see Count Vronsky's, well, Vronsky's coat on the rack. He's like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> then again, still wishing her death. Then the midwife comes and redirects him to um, Anna's uh, room. Um, and he sees Vronsky in a chair with his hands buried in his face. Vronsky said, she's dying. His face buried in his hands. Yeah, yep. his face buried in his hands. <laughs> and Vronsky says, she's dying. The doctors say there's no hope. I'm entirely at your mercy. But allow me, please. However, I shall do as you please. <laughs> Basically, don't kick me out while my while my mistress is dying in your house. Okay, <laughs> don't. can I stay in your house while your wife, who I've been loving up on, uh, die? What you think? <laughs> and by the way, that's my baby. So <laughs> I know, yeah, she just had my baby. Well, is it okay? <laughs> can I stay? Anna ask Alexi to forgive her completely before she dies. Like she is like dying. Okay. <laughs> for that time period. She then asked Alexi to forgive Vronsky. This is a highly emotional situation. Vronsky has his face covered with his hands. Anna tells Alexi to uncover his face because he's like, take his hand, take his Husband, hand. Husband, uncover my boyfriend's face. <laughs> I'm 
Because I want to talk to both of y'all because I'm dying. Like, literally, remove his hands from his face and give him your hand. Okay? Let's all hold hands, okay? Yeah. <laughs> the doctor says Anna has puperal fever, which is a condition in which 99 out of 100 cases end in death. So she's with fever. She's in and out of delirium and unconsciousness. Um, and all during that is while is when Alex Anna is asking Alexi to forgive both of them. So Alexi forgives. Brian, what did you think about this scene? Oh, it was oh my goodness! It's very detailed. It's you know, it's just so much information there. I'm like so moved. Alexi is like I was very moved. Comes out and he's like, yes, yes, forgiveness. This man so wanted her dead. He wanted her it's dead. Little, and then he feels bad for wanting her dead. Yes. It's a little bit of inertia there, though, because he doesn't want to take any action that would dissolve this marriage. Nope. So forgiveness is the easiest choice. But at the same time, I mean, it's really hard because he tells Ronsky, like, you know, if she wants to see you, she'll call you and I'll let you know. And, you know, I'm just going to live with this. Wait, what? <laughs> is she about to die? And you can come see your baby, you know, whenever you want. Uh -huh. Uh-huh. I'm so confused. So Bronski leaves. Is, go ahead. Yeah, Bronski <laughs> leaves and he comes back in the morning. And so that's when Bronski tells him his plan. He told he Alexi tells Bronski that he had full plans on divorcing his wife. He's driven by revenge on both of them. And he is was wishing her dead. But then he saw her lying there. Again, she was delirious and in and out of consciousness, high fever. And his emotions got the better of him. And so he forgave. And he enjoyed the feeling of forgiveness. I thought that was um, great that he said yeah, that. Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. He doesn't want that feeling to go away. It's clear to him that it was his duty to stay with his wife. And Bronski needs to go. Please leave. And I will <laughs> let you know if she asks for you. Okay. So Ronsky, and I'm going to watch your daughter like that's my daughter. Right. So Ronsky left. Anna recovers. But while Anna was ill, Alexi took care of their son. He reestablished a relationship with his son. Like, I like him now. And Anna's daughter. He developed a fondness for both of them. And so when Anna was feeling better, here come old Bessie. Bessie came to visit and told Anna, listen, listen, Ronsky is leaving town. He had injured himself and um, he wanted to oh. see you before he left. <laughs> Did y'all hear this? She didn't die. 99 people in 100 die of this fever. She is still alive. She, like, in the living. You hear me? In the living. Anna felt better. And then her friend came. And now she's like, wait, what did I say when I was sick? Because that sounds crazy. <laughs> and when Alexi, so Alexi comes in the room with, Anna, with Bessie there. And when Alexi comes in the room, she said, she tells, um, Anna tells Alexi what Bessie said because she wanted to be honest. She wanted to be honest. Anna's so trash. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Alexi said, listen, Anna needs to decide for herself if she wants Vronsky to come and say goodbye. Anna decides that there's no need for this man to come and say goodbye to me. Um, you know, the woman he loves for whom he wanted to destroy his life, his self, and who can't live without me. No, I don't want to see him. <laughs> That's what she said. Alexi could such see and feel his wife's hatred from him. And decided, you know what? I can't do this no more. As Bessie is leaving, Bessie is leaving from visiting Anna. Steva walks in. Here come the party. Steva is coming in. What did I miss? What did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> Steva comes in. 
Anna told Steve, she is not happy. She hates her husband for his virtuous um, attitude. And she just can't live him. him Because his ears was too big. Now she hate him because he too good. Yes, because he is too good. And the look of him, she said, affects her physically. She, he reached out to touch her hand and she tried to jerk back, but she wants to jerk back, but she doesn't just so it don't look bad. But, <laughs> but Alexi feels and sees all of that. Steve comforts his sister by saying, you know, you married a man 20 years older than yourself. You know, you didn't know what love was. I mean, I understand. You made a mistake. <laughs> this is, you know, this is hard. You know, this is okay. We'll figure it out. Steve then goes and talks to Alexi. Um, but Alexi has already recognized the situation and wants Anna to make this decision of what happens next. Steve tells Alexi he needs to be firm and solid in the decision and make the decision for both of them. Alexi decides that he is going to take the blame on himself and file for a divorce. Yeah, if he says he was unfaithful, it's easier for him to file this divorce without all the business being in the street and her being ruined. Right. So he's still thinking of her and their son. Mm hmm. Meanwhile, Bronski, deeply affected by the whole emotional display of forgiveness, attempts suicide. He missed his heart. In the dumbest way possible. I didn't really understand, <laughs> but I know he got shot. He shot himself in the chest, in the chest and, missed. and missed. But he was in the hospital for days trying to recover. So, yeah, he like blew off a nipple. <laughs> <laughs> this man is not the sharpest blade in the shed. Of course, that's embarrassing know. because he's a military man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he wanted everybody to know it was an accident. So when his sister-in-law comes, I think Bessie. Because that's better. Yeah. He, he, she said, just, it was an accident. I did not try to shoot myself. Okay. Let's clear that up. He learns that Alexi has agreed to a divorce and he races back to Anna again in Alexi's house. <laughs> in their house, mm. right? He don't even care if Alexi is there or not. Anna decides she cannot accept Alexi's magnanimity and runs away to Italy with Vronsky and Anne. She refuses the divorce, abandons her husband, and abandons her son. This is after her husband has tried to provide her with a divorce twice. She said no, but also I'm going to leave. She, she felt like she didn't deserve it. She didn't deserve the kindness, the um, virtuous aspects that he were, was applying. She felt like she deserved to be punished. And we agree there, but how is this any better? <laughs> yeah, because life and is And you left your son. The son that you said you couldn't divorce him. You couldn't divorce your husband because of your son. You couldn't be without your son. But then you left your son because you had this cute daughter now and you don't really need your son. Because, you know, he's getting older and awkward and his voice changing. <laughs> but the baby's still cute, so. And, you know, Italy. It's a trip. Oh, Italy. it sounds terrible. But I'm saying this is what's happening here. <laughs> Part seven. Levin and Kitty. Of 796 parts. <laughs> I think I'm almost done. I think it might be okay. one more. Levin and Kitty prepare to marry. Yay! Yay! Levin is like next level happy. It don't matter what anybody say to him. He is just like on cloud nine, as the expression goes. He's just <laughs> so happy. He's like, everybody else can make decisions. So they're like, let's get married before Lent. It's like, well, um, this is her mom. Kitty's mom's like, no, everything won't be ready, but it'd be great if we did it before Lent. Well, let's just get married anyway before Lent. So they get married before Lent. So they get married like within five weeks of the proposal. So the day of the wedding, Levin is overcome with this doubt. He is like, wait, did she, 
Is she settling for me? I'm not. Sh- I don't know. This don't feel right. Maybe I should give her a chance to back out. He is just like so unsure. I, I think it was a bachelor party. You know, the men get to talking to you and you just. And he's not pure. You know, oh, that's right. He's also he was pure. in them streets before Kitty. And he's like, how can I be good enough for this angel? <laughs> yes, that is what he is saying, y'all, for real. So he's like, listen, that's like the hardest thing I had to tell you. I'm not pure. And are you sure? Are you sure? They have a little argument about that. But then, you know, they, she said, let's get married. I want to marry you. <sighs> so <laughs> it's, it's long, y'all. It's long. So he goes to her. She says, yes, they're going to get married. The, the, they get married in the evening, but Levin is late. Don't nobody understand why Levin is late. Turns out Levin is late because he ain't had a proper shirt. Because <laughs> his servants are useless. His shirt was gone. <laughs> so they finally got the shirt, get to the marriage, get to the um, church, and they get married. But they don't have no honeymoon. Kitty didn't want to go on a honeymoon. She didn't want to go abroad. She wanted to go to that house that was so important in the country that uh, Levin um, lived in and start their life. She was ready. So they moved out to the country, started their life. The first three months of the marriage, rough. I mean, is it? That's normal, right? The way he described it sounds really reasonable. Like they're trying to adjust to each other's personalities and routines. And that's hard for some couples. Yeah. yeah so Levin was, he was happy. So it's a series of fights and making mm-hmm. up. Nothing really drastic. It, yeah, it didn't sound like it either. And Levin was happy, but he wasn't, he was not, um, it was not the happy that he expected. He was like, I'm happy, but I don't know. <laughs> what's going on here kitty was focused on making the home a home she wanted to be very particular she was paying attention to tablecloths and furniture and everything lemon is like that's weird I, why is she focused <laughs> on tablecloths that's ugh. he was just like she needs a hobby she needs a hobby he was like oh yeah women need something to do too and something to focus on yeah, he had that reality. So he sees her as kind of a useless doll, still loves her, but doesn't see the true utility of her. Like, why does she exist? Though? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yes, that essentially. Yeah. I mean, at, still loves it. At some point, he says, I'm smarter than her. I mean, you know, and it's, but it's evident. Mm-hmm. He said, he says, like, I shouldn't say that, but it's true. Also, God protects fools and babies. And she's kind of a <laughs> foolish baby. So these are true thoughts he's having. Okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So the first quarrel that they had occurred because Levin said he would come home at this specific time, but he lost his way and he came back 30 minutes late. So the whole time that he is on his way back home, he is like eager to see his wife. He's like, oh, I can't wait to home get to my beautiful bride. She's just so wonderful and loving. And he get to the door and, <laughs> and Kitty is like, why are you late? Hi, mister. I can't be on time. And I got this because they don't have cell phones. Anything could have happened to him. She's like, you out there? You say you're going to be home at six, be home at and six. And you out there having fun without me? How dare right. you? She, I'm in the country. You got a city girl in the country. Ain't nothing but me and the goats. She is like straight up through. She is through the roof. You're like, what? What? The? I mean, I was just so happy to see you, lady. <laughs> she was just hot. But it got better. That was one fight. <laughs> they had some more, but it got better. Levin had in the meantime, gotten word that his brother was on his deathbed and he was going to go to him. And Kitty was like, I want to go. <laughs> he was like, uh, why? She's like, because you're going. I want to go. I want to be with you. He's like, I thought this was described well, too. He's like, you just want to come because you ain't got no life. <laughs> when Don't you see I have to go see to my sick brother? Like, stop being selfish. And she's like, my husband's going to be grieving. I want to be there for my husband. Yep. 
that's crazy. It's very well described. Um, yeah, so she insists, he declines, but eventually she comes. So mm-hmm. Levin is disappointed. He felt like she was going to be in the way. You, you know, you're in the way. Levin is disappointed, but Kitty ends up coming in. When they arrive to visit Levin's brother, Kitty um, immediately goes to work. She does the things to make the brother comfortable. And Levin sees her selflessness, her compassion, and her empathy. These are things that he didn't expect. He was fearing of death, but she had the skill to make him comfortable, which made her his brother a little more pleasant. And there were a few things she did that I internalized that I want to do. Like when um, Levin goes to see his brother, some of his extremities are swollen, but the body is really emaciated Mm -hmm. because the man truly has just days to live. Levin is repulsed and doesn't know what to say. So he's just sitting in this awkward situation. When Kitty, his wife, walks in, she's like, "Okay, it stinks in here. Um, You want some dirty sheets. So this is what we're going to do. You're going to go to the doctor. You're going to get a bath. We're going to clean up this room, me and your um, ex-prostitute girlfriend. (laughs) And then we're going to try to make you eat something. And then I'm going to sit down and just hold your hand and talk to you about all the cases I've seen just like yours where people, um, you know, get over it. Not get over it, but like this doesn't have to be your end. I know so-and-so and and he was going through just what you're going through. And a week later, he was living. These are lies. But, you know, she's just telling him about she's helping his his physical self and his spiritual self. Exactly. She's like just a breath of fresh air. And this man is cantankerous and like, Mm -hmm. you know, bitter. But her kindness even affects him where he tells his brother, your wife, your wife. What does he call her? Katya? Katya. Your wife, Katya. She is just. Yeah. He's like, if I had her instead of this prostitute. I would have been better a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, he did say that. <laughs> he was here days ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> All right. Okay, next. Vronsky and Anna. So as we, when we last left them, they had ran off with the new baby to Italy. They've been traveling together. <laughs> this is hilarious to In me. Europe. Um, and they had landed mm-hmm. in this small town in Italy. And they were like bored. They couldn't have the high society friends that they was kicking it with before. Because that's what they get because they had, you know, they had been in the streets. They got a bad name out there. So they can't. So they just, you know, living this boring life and happy (laughs) to finally be alone with Vronsky. Vronsky is like over her. It's like she is really suffocating me over this situation. (laughs) He's like, wait, what did I fight for you? (laughs) It it ain't even no discussion of him and the baby. I don't even know if he see the baby because even though it's just the two of them, they somehow need a nurse to watch this baby. That was common. Also, the nurse is beautiful. So you already know where that's going. (laughs) He thought that being with Anna was going to be all the happy he needed. But it wasn't happy. He just was not Don't happy. Don't make someone else responsible for your happiness. I think we talked about that before. That's yeah. a thing. So they do a lot of things. I think he takes on a hobby of painting and um, they go and see a painter and the painter is like, can you, can we just say he decides to paint? <laughs> not Anna, but the nurse. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> That's it. <I> right. <laughs> he decided to paint the beautiful nurse. Yes. And. <laughs> yeah but then he gave up painting because he's like that's not for him it really he didn't have no real passion behind it so they was like ah, you're not good at it mm-hmm. anyway so with all the boredom that they experienced and they like well I think we should go back home let's go back to Russia and live in the country end of part one <laughs> let's take a break <laughs> So, Kari, what did 
did you think of the first part? It's brilliant. I'm loving it. It's way too long. <clears throat> um, if this was truly written for the purpose of a one book being bound together, I think it would have been a lot shorter and editor would have gotten there. Um, but even though it's too long, I think it's brilliant. I'm really, I want to know what happens with Anna. I hope she gets her just desserts and I um, hope Levin and Kitty live a long, prosperous life. Although I'm pretty sure she's going to die because she's just like too sweet. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it so far. Good pick. What about you? What are you thinking so far? I do. I love being able to know what everybody is thinking. I, you know, there are so many levels to this book. There's a discussion in here about religion. There's discussion about the politics of the time. It's many levels to this book. Even agriculture. And agriculture. A big part of the, yeah, there's a section that's really focused on Levin, the country life and his interactions with his peasants. And it's not boring. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not a whole lot going on, but the inner motivations of everyone is really interesting. Yeah, I, I absolutely love knowing these full characters. I, I really do. That is like, that's wonderful. So. Yeah, yeah, that's my take on it. So, uh, and I love that Anna and um, Vronsky moved to uh, Europe and was like, "Well, I'm sick of you." <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that how we go? All right. So, what are we reading next week? Part two. Listen. Part two. Listen. Let me tell you. So, the part that we're starting out next is in part five of this book, and it's called "Death." It's the only chapter in the book that has a title. I didn't even know that. I saw that it was called death, but I, I didn't. Okay. I'm really interested. Oh, I hope Kitty lives. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexa Sanaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love y'all too. We've also introduced a limited edition collection of candles. You know, we have those luxury candles, lovelitotes.com, L-O-V-E-L-I-T-O-T-E-S.com. And they're called Such a fun sage. It's our thank you to Kylie Reed who shouted us out. She is the author of Such a Fun Age. Check out those candles before they're gone. We will not be replenishing that collection. So oh. get it while you can. Yes. <laughs> if you've enjoyed what you've heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Amazing. And until next time, <laughs> read, read something. something. <laughs>